Please listen carefully. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Study Space podcast, created by the UniPlan team. My name is David, and my name is Julian, and we'll be serving as your hosts for today. Today, we'll be discussing the concept of a learning ecosystem, how to create one, and how having one can benefit a college student. But before we start, I have to ask. Julian, what's inspiring you today?、Um, today, what is inspiring me are、um, games. Actually,、uh, today at work, funny that I'm mentioning games at work.、Um, today at work, I learned、uh, how to play a new game, and it's、um, I forget what it's called. I think it's called shuffleboard. I think,、um, but it's really cool. It's a、uh, It's this long table with sand, really, really fine sand on the table, and there are four、uh, pucks that,、um, when you slide them across the table, the sand acts as like, I guess, ball bearings under the pucks, and the pucks are like basically nearly frictionless, so they just slide very gracefully across the table. And your goal is、um, there are certain markers on the table across from you、uh, that represent different point values, and you slide your piece over to, or you, at least you try to slide your piece over to the different point values, and then your opponent, because you're playing against another player, your opponent is able to knock your pieces out and vice versa. And I had never played this game before, and.、Um, I'm gonna be honest. When one of my coworkers asked me to,、uh, or whether or not I wanted to play this game with him, I wanted to say no because because I felt uncomfortable、um, stepping into somewhat of a competitive situation where I didn't know how to do something. I didn't know how to play this game. It would be the first time that I played the game. And he was like, "Oh, like let's play, you know, let's 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 play against each other." And I was like,、mm, "Like I don't really want to. I'm I'm not good at it. I don't, you know, I've never played it before." I wanted to say that, but instead of saying no, I decided to agree, and I played against him. Long story short, I beat him, which is kind of funny. Beginner's luck, probably most likely, but I caught on, and the reason why it inspired me is because、um, I stepped out of my comfort zone. And stepping out of my comfort zone allowed me to see that I can actually improve. And it's funny because we did a couple of episodes about like skills and improving oneself. But to this day, I still I still feel nervous about stepping into a situation where、um, I'm not 100 comfortable that I'm an expert on the subject or I don't really know enough to talk about it and perform. And that makes me uncomfortable sometimes. But I stepped out of my comfort zone today, and I beat my friend several times, and he beat me too. We we played several games because it's actually a really really fun game. But the moral of the story is: step out of your comfort zone, and you'll probably surprise yourself in what you can do, what you can accomplish. So that's what's inspiring me today. Wow, pl- playing games at work—that's that's a real new one. <laughs> I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, it's well, it's a it's a Friday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so、uh, what's inspiring me this week is I actually got a research position、um, at the nanobiotechnology lab at my school.、Um, so there was like a job or slash research posting、um, just this week, 
And it caught my interest because it was asking for someone who is experienced in Arduino and someone who is pursuing either electrical engineering or biomedical engineering. Um, and I was very interested in it. So I basically emailed the professor, gave my resume. Um, and then, you know, I talked about how I was interested in this project. And then he said, you know, come see me the next day. I talked to him and he asked me, like, are you still interested in the position? Uh, I said, yes. And I just started working with him basically. Um, and over the last few days I've been training, um, on how to use the lab, like what's in it, um, what are my responsibilities, et cetera. And it's been really fun so far. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I'll talk more uh, about that in this episode because it has to relate with our topic. Cool. Awesome. Congrats on that, uh, that research position. That's really awesome that you're able to do that as a freshman. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, my school has a lot of opportunities. And as we always talk about, um, it's really good to take the opportunities you have because that's a huge, huge part of college. You know, outside of classes, um, you have to make sure to take every opportunity you can, whether that's clubs or whether that's research or um, perhaps, you know, competition opportunities. Those are always very, very valuable. But also making sure to not, you know, stretch yourself too thin, right? Because then you won't be able to make... Uh make meaningful progress on everything that you set your mind to, right? Right. No, definitely. And um, that's why we're going to talk about learning ecosystems today. So um, I guess before we define learning ecosystem and what it is, I guess we have to define an ecosystem first. So ecosystem from Google <laughs> is a biological community of interacting organisms and their physical environment. And in the context that I'm going to talk about ecosystems, which is learning ecosystem, uh, I'm going to talk about basically uh, the skills you have, what you want to focus on, your passions, and how they can relate to one another. Because I know, um, as Julian said, some people tend to spread themselves really thin. And I think that it, learning ecosystem is the best way to counteract that. Okay, so obviously in an ecosystem, you know, the goal is, you know, for the ecosystem to be healthy, to be balanced. And so um, animals will obviously eat each other. Some animals, you know, will be both eaten and they eat other animals. And I know that's a probably horrible that I, now that I say it out loud, but um, skills are kind of like that too. Um, so obviously when you learn a skill, it is very much possible to transfer that to another skill. Right. And so um, I guess an example of that is uh, in my own life. Right. Because currently right now I'm taking a class called Introduction to Electrical and Computer Engineering. Um, and, you know, in the course, it's some basic circuitry and we're learning about, you know, um, power, ground, analog signals, digital stuff like that. Um, and, you know, going into the class, I didn't really anticipate to do much with it, um, you know, outside of the classroom. But through the other activities that I've done, I found that there is actually so much for me to do. So uh, one example of that would be that I'm currently on a design team um, and we're basically designing a drone um, and we're communicating with the drone um, by using radio frequency, right? And when you send radio frequency signals, at least in the context of what we're doing it using Arduino, um, you have to send these things called packets. And packets are made up of basically bytes, zeros and ones. And now, um, before I take an introduction to electrical computer engineering, I didn't really know that much about um, binary, didn't know that much about how computers talk to each other. Um, but by taking that class, I was able to reinforce uh, my skills in the design team, 
right? Um, and this has been pretty prevalent, I guess, throughout my life. Um, so right now I'm also in rocketry um, and that club also uses a lot of stuff that I learned on my design team, which is radio frequency, right? Because that's how you communicate with a rocket. It's almost the same thing as a drone. Um, obviously it's with a larger scale and there's much, uh, there's much more complicated mechanisms, much more stuff, you know, moving around, but it's essentially the same concept, right? And I think that's really the way to define a, um, a learning, or I guess you could call it a skill ecosystem because, um, by doing one thing, you're building on another. You're not just spending your energy uh, learning that skill and kind of only using it for one purpose. You're able to apply that everywhere. And then when you carry that onto another activity, you know, by doing that other activity, you have a chance to refine it even more, to improve it even more, right? Not just keeping that, um, I guess, uh, complacent, right? Because you're constantly improving your skill set. Um, I'm also in, you know, other clubs and obviously I said I'm doing research right now um, and all of those uh, all those activities revolve around my passion um, for circuit design for electrical engineering and I think that by combining the stuff that I learn in my classes combining the theory that I learn um, with all these practical skills and then using the practical skills in order to build on them um, I think I'm able to create an ecosystem where I'm constantly learning and constantly improving myself and my skill set. So I guess um, my question to you, Julian, is how how um, how do you do that in your daily life? I guess what kind of skill or learning ecosystem do you have for yourself? Yeah. So um, first of all, I I really I really like how you you put um, or you you define the term a learning ecosystem because. Well, if you were to Google up learning ecosystem right now, you wouldn't really get much in terms of like personal learning ecosystems. Learning ecosystems is a term that is usually applied to the corporate world and, you know, training employees and training the workforce. But in a personal sense, you 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 really you really define it you know, very, very eloquently, I, I, I'd like to say um, it's very circular right? You learn something from your class and those topics that you learn from class you use in your design team and your different clubs and in your research. And when you're using those skills, the, the theoretical knowledge, the foundational knowledge that you learn from your classes in application, in actually doing something, you really, you're, you're reinforcing what you learned in class, which allows you to perform better in your classes and allows you to more easily learn newer topics in your classes, right? And then now we're going full circle again. So it's really awesome. I really enjoy the way that you that you put that. Uh, for, Thank you. For me, um, a learning ecosystem for me is very similar. And, and actually, it's, it's probably exactly the same, really. Um, Let's go back to, let's see, my second year of university, okay? My second year of university, I was um, taking a class called Object-Oriented Design. And it's essentially a class that is fully focused on one of the primary uh, programming paradigms in computer science, uh, there are many different paradigms, but object-oriented is one of uh, a, a really good way 
to, um, to, to program. And um, in this class, we were tasked with, after learning about object-oriented design and, and you know, the theoretical knowledge of object orientation, we were tasked with designing an application employing the design patterns that we learned uh, previously in, in, you know, in, in during lecture. And the final project was an application of that theoretical knowledge. So, so I, I completed that project and I was really, really proud of what I built. And actually, fun fact, the project that I built in object-oriented design was, was essentially the first step into creating our app, the Uniplan app for organizing um, student life and such. But anyway, besides the point, um, I built that project and instead of, you know, taking that and throwing out that knowledge and moving on with my life, I employed that same methodology, that same design, the same skills, the same knowledge in my other projects as well. So I started thinking about um, object-oriented design and the theory that I learned with every single software product that I was looking at. So anything from like products that I didn't make that I was using to all of the programs that I was writing in the future, I sort of thought about them in the context of the knowledge that I learned from that class. And then um, I also had the internship at NASA where I sort of applied this knowledge as well. But at NASA, I learned more skills that came easier to me, I think, because I had that foundational knowledge that I learned from class. And those skills that I learned at NASA when I took software engineering as a, as a formal course in university after having done my NASA internship, um, those skills transferred over to the class again. So you see how it's sort of circular here where I learned something from a class, I apply that knowledge at my projects and my work, and then you know I build up those skills and then it goes back to my newer classes and I've been reinforced by it, right? So so that was me in university, where it was class to projects and work back to my classes. Now I'm I'm working full time, right? And um so how does my learning ecosystem work now that you know it's it's I, I suppose this isn't super relevant to students that are currently in university, but um but actually I'm going to be starting classes at Georgia Tech with my master's in computer science in about mm, a little less than two months, I would say. And in an effort to prepare for that, I, um, I'm taking some online courses um, in computer science. And the, the way that I'm doing that is by looking at um, a, a website called MIT Courseware, MIT Open Courseware. Um, so MIT posts a, um, a a great deal of their older courses, their recorded um, college undergraduate and graduate level courses online, uh, including the assignments, the notes, sometimes even the textbook, the recorded lectures in the form of video or audio. All of that stuff is put online. So what I'm doing is I'm learning a bunch of graduate level computer science courses at MIT um, through the open courseware. I'm not a formal student, but I'm just, you know, viewing the, the material from the outside as, as part of the, the, the public, which is, by the way, publicly accessible. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm taking that knowledge, I'm, I'm learning about these things, and I'm sort of trying to employ it in my project with UniPlan and even my work sometimes too, when I'm, when I'm thinking about uh, networking and algorithms that, that, I'm, that I'm learning in graduate algorithms and stuff. So, so even though I'm not actually a university student anymore, I, I would still like to think that I am because I'm taking university like MIT courses and I will be a graduate student in the future. So it'll be that endless cycle of like classes to my projects and work and then back to the classes again and so on and so forth. So that's what my sort of ecosystem looks like right now. Wow. I mean, that's that, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. And um, obviously, I, re I really liked how you mentioned um, that when you were at NASA, um, a lot of your skills that you learned uh, transferred over into your later courses, right? Because I think that really encourages you to keep learning about the subject, to keep diving deeper. Because I feel like a lot of the time um, when you learn something in class and you really never see it again, um, it really doesn't encourage you to keep going with the subject, right? Sometimes I'll learn a math concept. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to use this. You know, I'm just kind of kind of forget about it. But when you really apply it, right, when you apply that math concept or that science concept or what, I'm, what you're learning in engineering, uh, you apply that coursework to what you're doing, it'll really encourage you because now your work is going to be very important, right? It, it's going to impact someone's life. It's going to make you more fulfilled. It's going to allow you to explore your passion more. And so you'll recognize the significance of that because I know a lot of the time, especially for um, STEM students, it, school can get kind of dry, right? Uh, do you agree with me on that, Julian? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think... Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have the luxury of enjoying absolutely every single course, every single topic that I've ever learned. But I mean, I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but that's kind of the point of college is, you know, figuring out what you don't like, figuring out what you like. We sort of talked about that in a previous episode. But um, for me, like, yeah, I've had classes that were boring. And to be honest, like there are many classes that to this day, I don't really use that much because they're either too theoretical or they aren't relevant to my specialization. But that's okay because maybe that that knowledge might be helpful in the future. And just knowing even a little bit of it, you know, I don't, I don't know all of it, but knowing even a little bit of it might help me learn something new in the future. So to have that sort of foundational knowledge in my tool belt, I think is helpful and will be helpful perhaps in the future. Right, most definitely. Um, and you know, a lot of the, like, like I was mentioning, a lot of the times these subjects can get really boring. Like you'll be in <laughs> electrical engineering class and you'll just be looking at literally ones and zeros because that's what binary is written in. And you'll be doing the operations for it and everything. And all that's all you'll see, right? You'll only see those ones and zeros. You won't really recognize the impact of that. But then when you actually use that in practice, you know, those ones and zeros can make up a signal and that signal can power a drone, right? And the drone that I'm developing right now is one that I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, to be honest, but let's just say it operates a motor on the drone, right? And um, that's that's something that's really cool, right? Because you you actually get to see um, the impact of what you're learning because now, because you know about these ones and zeros, because you know about binary, because you know how commuter, computers communicate, you are now able to operate um, this drone that's very, very far away using radio frequency. I mean, that I think that's pretty incredible, right? Um, and 
this applies a lot to my research as well, um, because right now we're develop. I think I am allowed to say this one. Uh, we are developing a sweat sensor, right? And the sweat sensor basically um, is used for people who have um, cystic fibrosis, uh, CF, and as well as uh, athletes. So the reason why uh, people with CF need sweat sensors is because um, it's a genetic mutation that causes um, some of your receptors, I believe. I'm not a biology expert. He, my PI explained this to be very roughly, but um, it causes some of your receptors to be blocked. And that's why mucus uh, will build and accumulate in your lungs. And that makes, pe- it, that makes it really hard for people with CF to breathe. Um, and so the common method has, to solve that has been to break up um, the mucus using these really powerful like vibrating devices. But now um, scientists have developed a way uh, for people with CF to take a medicine um, that will basically regulate um, their mucus by basically enabling uh, the receptors for an amount of time, right? But the problem is um, this medicine is expensive. I think it's somewhere in the realm of $3 million uh, for 30 years, right? And that's, I think, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And not a lot of people can afford that. So what they're trying to do to make it cheaper is to be extremely precise in the amount of medicine that they give to a CF patient. And the only way to do that um, that we know right now is to measure their sweat. Because um, by measuring their sweat, um, people with CF have very, very salty sweat. And so by measuring the concentration of salts in the sweat, um, you can basically determine how much medicine they'll need. And being able to make a sweat sensor that does that, to me, is very very fulfilling it's it it's i think um it's really hard to say but making that much impact in someone's life right saving them this money um cutting down on costs for them is really important to me and i think it gives um me like a purpose or a reason why i'm doing electrical engineering because like i mentioned it can get really dry a lot of the time right um and a lot of the skills that i learned from my classes are really useful in that because um, I was going over some data sheets for some of the circuits that we're going to design. And basically, um, when sweat, sweat is can be basically just salt water, right? That's that's basically what it is. And so we can detect the ions on that and the ions will break up into voltage. And that's how we basically measure the um, concentration of salt in the sweat because because we will measure the concentration of those ions that produce the voltage. Um, and so that's something I learned in electrical engineering, right? And in order to store the charge of that and to read it, we have to use capacitors. And that's something else that I learned at the beginning of the year. Um, and um, I was basically at a like kind of a PhD uh, meeting today. They were talking about the sweat sensor and how like a lot of the uh, electrochemistry that goes on behind it. And I could tell that a lot of what I learned in um, chemistry and a lot of what they probably learned in higher courses of chemistry were extremely, extremely useful in developing this, right? And so I think that having this sort of ecosystem allows you to really see um, why you want to study something, right? Because it gives you more meaning, it gives you more purpose, um, gives you something to look forward to, right? Because looking forward to learning a lot of this stuff is I don't think I don't think we wake up every day saying, "Oh, I, wa- I really want to learn more about these math equations and memorizing these formulas." But we do want to wake up and, and say, "I want to impact this person's life. I want to help this person who has a really big problem." I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, Julian. Um, but 
now that's that's currently how i feel about what i'm studying honestly that's so cool whatever you're working on right now that sounds so cool that sounds awesome i mean just like and and I totally resonate with that. That's part of the reason why I started UniPlan and I started building our app is I wanted to help students. And the 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 big thing about about college and university is that you have a lot of times you have so much going on at the same time and and a lot of the time it's it's not just school. There are um, different app obligations in your life that sort of pull at your attention and that can affect your academic performance and also your personal performance as well. And so I, I wanted to develop an app that that helps organize all of those things to to assist and help students be more successful. Um, and, and again, whatever you're working on right now sounds super awesome. Um, I, I want to, I want to loop back to how you said that some of the classes you take, and, and, and I also said this too, that some of the classes that we've taken, um, can, can be a little dry and, and sometimes we have a hard time, uh, seeing the application of what we're currently learning. But, but you also said that, um, some of the courses that you've taken, like while they're dry, um, you wouldn't have really seen the application of all the courses that you've taken had you not been exposed to your research project and your your rocketry and your design team projects and such. So, um, so, so it's we've established that uh, being interested in what you're learning is great because it's easier to pick up things, but also that the knowledge that might seem dry in the moment can be important in the future. So so how do you, and I wanna ask this to you, David, how do you personally stay on top of learning material that might be dry, but you have a suspicion that it is going to be important to you in the future? That's a really great question. I mean, um, a lot of the time, um, a lot of the teachers will kind of, if they're you know a really good professor, they'll talk about how um, this will be used in the future, right? And my professor tends to do that a lot, my electrical engineering professor. And while it might, might seem dry at the time, when he talks about a lot of these applications, I take note of that, right? Like, even though it might not be really important to the midterm or whatever, I think about the bigger picture, um, what it actually means to me and what it's going to mean to my career. And so I take a note of that and I say, hmm, like maybe I'll do some further investigation into that, right? Because... Um, like, I, for example, he was talking about signals and we were going over, you know, cosine, sine waves, what really makes up a signal. And then he talked about how in the future we'll be, we'll be needing this for, um, you know, future courses and if we want to get into a certain area of design, right? So he was talking about how he used to have a career at Bell Labs. Um, I don't know if you know what Bell Labs is. I think those they made the first transistor, I believe. Um, not super sure, but Bell Labs is pretty huge in the computer science world, especially in the beginnings of of our theoretical foundation. So, right, yeah, and so he he talked a lot about that, and so um, you know he he said that a lot of the stuff we learn in electrical engineering is actually using loudspeaker design, right? Loudspeakers are just speakers, microphones in general, and so. Um, he tries. He tries to mention a lot of that stuff so that we can um, do a lot of investigation on our own, right? Because 
um, if we take personal interest in that, right? He he might not teach us that. He might he's going to teach us the hard math, the hard science behind that kind of stuff. But it's our prerogative to go look that up ourselves, right? Go find out more about it. And so that's that that is what I do, right? And if I take an interest in it, I'll say, hey, like maybe I should go into this, right? And uh, I know he mentioned a lot about, um, I believe it was. Uh, GPU, CPUs, we were going over that and how a transistor can basically turn from something so small into this, you know, really powerful CPU or GPU. And he was mentioning careers that we might be able to get in the future, right? At NVIDIA, at AMD, he said, you should look at those companies, maybe investigate the internships there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's that's basically how, even if something is dry to me at the time, that's how I, like, find out if it really does have a purpose or not and you know a lot of times maybe you don't have a maybe you have a professor that doesn't mention that kind of stuff a lot right so i think if that's the case it's your job to go out and look at what that is actually used for because i i think it's very uncommon for a linear algebra professor or calc 3 professor to kind of mention like oh by the way this is what you use it for but um you can go find that out yourself right youtube is a great tool um and I know that you can do a lot of reading online into, you know, applications of a lot of stuff you're learning. And so that's kind of the way I look beyond what I'm doing right now and into the future of, hey, like, how is this going to help me 5, 10, 20 years from now? I see. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, while you were talking, I did some searching. And uh, Bell Labs is actually credited with a lot of the development of the programming language C and C++. So um, so aside from like the transistor and a lot of the computer hardware research and development that's been done on that end, on the software side, C and C++ were developed there as well. So that, I think that's super cool. And C and C++ is like... Uh, somewhat of uh, a, the basis of a lot of modern day programming languages today. So, so I think that's um, that's super cool. And and thanks for for giving your insight on on how you maintain an ecosystem and and how you um, how you sort of uh, take the knowledge that you you learn in class that that you know might not be the most interesting in the moment, but you know it's going to be important, or you have a suspicion that it's going to be important in the future to you and your career. And uh, you you sort of uh, work to, to to keep that up to to you know nurture that so that you can still remember not all of it but but maybe uh, enough of it that, so that you can pick it up again when it becomes relevant to you. I I find that what works for me is um, it, it. I learned this recently, very very recently, and I'm experimenting it. Uh, I'm experimenting with this method right now in the uh, MIT OpenCourseWare uh, algorithms course that I'm taking right now. Um, and, and this is a, this, I think I'm playing my cards right here because this is like a graduate level course, but I'm not being graded on it. Like it's, I'm not going to have a transcript for it, which is okay because I can afford to experiment and fall behind while trying to, you know, learn a new way to learn and not get penalized for it before actually taking graduate level courses in the future. So that's the reason that's part of the reason why I'm taking an uh, an online course uh, at the graduate level with MIT. So here's the method that I learned very recently. It seems at first really really nonsensical, but if you really think about it, it's it it, it makes sense. 
Um, and before I actually tell you about what th this method is, I, I want to pose a couple of, of questions. So, so humor me for a second, David. Do you, in your classes, take notes during lecture? Yes, I do. So, so do you take notes while the professor is talking? Like basically the entire time during the entire lecture, you're taking notes and you're listening? Uh, yeah, I'd say that's pretty much the case. Okay, so the reason why I'm asking is because uh, this method involves not taking notes during lecture. And it sounds almost like sacrilegious. Like, what are you doing with yourself? Why are you not taking notes during lecture? You know, like, like all these people around me are taking notes. I should be taking notes too, right? So this method tells you not to take notes during class. But now let me pivot and ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to compare two things. I, I want to compare your, your retention of the information in your lectures while you're taking notes and your retention while you're watching a movie or a TV show, right? I don't mm, think, yes. I don't, if, you're, if you're like somewhat normal, normal quote unquote, because you know, what, what is normal, right? Um, if you're quote unquote normal, you're probably not going to take notes while you're watching a movie or while you're watching your favorite Netflix show, right? Right, definitely. So, but I want you to really think, compare your retention of literally the last lecture that you had versus the last movie slash show that you watched. What do you think you remember more? Dane, that is... Uh... <laughs> this is gonna sound horrible, but I think it was a movie, to be honest. Right? But yeah. you didn't. But you didn't take notes on that movie. Right. But I can probably depend upon you to give me the plot of the movie that you watched. You can probably depend on a lot of people to uh, talk about the overall plot and story and the problems and the solutions and all the characters that are involved in the movie or show that they watched. But you can't always depend on a student to sort of regurgitate the lecture that they just attended, even though they took copious amounts of notes on said lecture. Now, why is that the case? Um, Okay, granted, a movie or a TV show is probably going to be, in the moment, a little more interesting than, say, algorithms, okay? I'm sorry to say. But the, the principle is, is that you're actively listening and you're allowing your mind to sort of soak in the knowledge and sort of... Um, Take the time that's needed to to uh, uh, interpret what your professor is saying and process that in its own way in the back of your mind without actually taking notes. Because when you're taking notes, your mind is sort of split in terms of attention. You're listening to the professor, but you're also thinking about how do I write this down on my piece of paper? What's even worse is that you're typing the notes instead of writing your notes, right? Because when you're typing your notes, you're able to take down more information, more information, quote unquote. You're really just copying and transcribing whatever your professor's saying, which might be a good idea, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of notes, right? 
Um, and, and so you're not really thinking about how to, uh, how to paraphrase what your professor or teacher says during lecture when you're typing. So that's even worse. But this method encourages you not to take notes at all during lecture. And what you should do instead is after, after attending lecture, try to write down or record down what you remember from that lecture. And then go back and fill in the gaps in your knowledge, either by asking questions um, in the next lecture or reading about um, about the topics that you learned in class in, you know, in your textbook, say, or on uh, online resources like YouTube videos or, or blog posts and, and articles and, and more reading online. Or um, if you really want like what's in class, you can uh, ask your professor to be able to record the lecture and then listen to that lecture after you uh, record down what you remember from, from class. And what this does is it encourages you to, to really, really paraphrase what your professor is saying because you're grabbing it from memory. Um, and then it allows you to go back and refresh your knowledge and fill in the blanks, fill in the gaps of your knowledge in your notes. And I'm, I'm experimenting with this method right now. And let me tell you, like after the first two lectures, I've, I've, gone, I've gone through two lectures now, I was able to recall so much more information, like straight up facts from the first couple of lectures, like the very next day, which is rare because usually I'd have to like study, right? To be able to recurgitate any of the, the theoretical knowledge um, or use it. But after the lecture, I was able to regurgitate it all to my coworkers the next day. And that's, that's super amazing because I wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. Right, I was able to like say the the, you know, the the different classes of problems that exist in computer science, like class P, class NP, and and NP complete problems. Right, like I can give you all those facts right now, but you wouldn't be able to depend upon me to do so when I I, I took all those notes. I would probably say like, oh, like I could probably tell you that if I look at my notes. Right? What do you what do you think about about this this method that seems so backwards, but also it appears to work very well? I mean, I think that's that's pretty incredible, and it, I think it makes a a lot of sense, right? Because you talked a lot about um, revisiting uh, what you just learned, and so you have all that time to really absorb what the professor is saying, so that you can go back later and I guess supplement the knowledge, which. I guess you could even call a learning ecosystem in and of itself because now you're learning something, but in addition to learning it, you're adding in supplemental resources that you found online. So I guess subconsciously, a lot of people have already have learning ecosystems without even realizing it, right? Because you're just reinforcing that skill that you already have um, by, you know, going to lecture, listening instead of taking notes, then going back and, you know, taking notes separately or reading separately or, and it all kind of bonds together in the end, and it gives you a lot greater depth of knowledge. Yeah, um, and also I, I want to say this because I just thought of this right now, and I think it's rather clever. Um, I, I know that since we're both engineers, David, like we we like to use engineering analogies um, and, and engineering examples, but sometimes that 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 might not be the analogy that is directly compatible with um, with our other listeners. So I want to I wanna say something that is a little more general and a little more universal, okay? 
So um, riddle me this. You've never taken a course on um, like like a, a a horror situation, right? Like, say there is a a murderer and he's in your house. You've never taken a college course or a high school course or an online course or any sort of formal classwork on learning what to do in that sort of a situation, right? Nope, I don't believe I have. <laughs> But you have watched movies where there is sort of a horrific situation, like there is a monster or there's a demon or there's a murderer in your house and you need to escape, right? Yes, certainly. Okay, so you've definitely watched those sort of movies and shows. Now, um, I think pretty much everybody out there can agree. Splitting up is the worst idea, right? Right. <laughs> yes, usually. It's like I, I, I don't know why this is a recurring thing in in horror movies and horror shows. Is that the 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 group splits up, and then as a mystery to absolutely nobody out there, everybody in the group gets picked off one by one. Right, that's usually what happens. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um. And so, you know, perhaps, you know, you, you, subconsciously, you know, splitting up is a bad idea or running towards uh, the roof, for example, is a bad idea because you'd be trapped, right? You, you don't really have anywhere to go if you go up the roof um, or going into the bathroom, say you're stuck, you're trapped because you literally have nowhere else to go. Um, so... You never took a course on this information, but you probably know it in the back of your head that all the stuff you probably shouldn't do in a horrific situation, right? So think about that for a second. You didn't take notes on this. You didn't go to class for that, but you definitely know it's a bad idea to split up, right? And you learned all of that from watching movies and watching shows. Now, granted... Like, I, I don't actually know if splitting up is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm fairly certain it's a bad idea because you can do more together than alone. Um, but also, um, it, it might not be, you know, some of these situations are like, oh, it's like demons and monsters, and that's probably not real in, in, in the real world. But but still, you you if you were hypothetically in that situation, you probably wouldn't make the same dumb choices as the characters do in the movies and the shows. And you know this because you watched it, but again, you never took notes on it, and yet you know it so well anyway. So just think about that for a second, and think about how that works, and maybe try to experiment with this method that I've presented to you, um, you know, it, somewhere where it's a uh, it's safe to do so. Don't risk your grade unless you're brave enough to do so, um, but but experiment with it and try it out and see if it works for you. And I think this will help you build somewhat of an ecosystem for classes that you find a little boring, you know, because um, if you find that a class is boring and you, you, you have a hard time thinking of the, the application for the knowledge that you're getting from those courses, um, if you don't take notes and then you try to regurgitate the lecture um, afterwards, um, that's sort of an activity that, that demands that you pay attention. 
And then you go back and you fill in the blanks afterwards. You know, you fill in your, your gaps of knowledge, which reinforces the knowledge that you grabbed from that class that might not be so interesting. So even if it's not an ecosystem that directly affects your 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 skills or your specialization, you 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 can build somewhat of a pseudo ecosystem for classes that you might not find the most interesting. Right, definitely. Um, but something that I think um, we shouldn't mistake here is Julian is not telling you guys to go um, into the lecture and then go out and then not do anything with that knowledge afterwards. I think that's actually scientifically proven to be a bad idea. Um, they did a study on it with a few PhD students, I believe, and the ones who did not take notes, but obviously those people didn't you know, study or do anything either, um, forgot like 80% of the material. And by the time they breached midterm, I mean, that's, that's what they got, right? Um, this is obviously like a mock trial thing, but yeah, no, this, I, I think, um, I think it's very important that you do just as Julian said, and actually try to regurgitate, try to do an activity after you learn this stuff, because that gets you really active, right? That gets you active and in the learning process, because if you kind of just let that knowledge simmer, it's not going to do anything, right? And that's why it's so important to apply your knowledge and apply your knowledge to important things. <clears throat> okay, so I guess um, redirecting back to the topic of learning ecosystem, um, aside from, you know, having skills that build on each other, doing activities that will really help you with your classes and classes that will help you with activities, vice versa, um, I think it's also really important, it might be overlooked sometimes, to include things that you do outside of your ecosystem that kind of regulates you, right? Because like I said um, at the beginning of the episode, a healthy ecosystem is a balanced ecosystem, and you don't want to, you know, spread yourself so thin that you're doing all this stuff to, you know, get a really nice, solid ecosystem down and then forgetting to take care of yourself, right? And I guess a way that I do that um, is, you know, by doing this podcast, by doing this podcast and writing blogs, um, I can kind of get myself away a little bit from all the hard science, hard math, hard engineering that I'm doing every day, just kind of taking a moment to, you know, do something else that's really not kind of aligned with what I normally do in my week because a lot of times that can get boring um, or maybe just you know talking with my friends going out to see a movie every once in a while um, and just doing stuff you know by myself I know Julian you meditate I don't know if you still do um, but that kind of stuff is really important in, in my opinion so that you know you have the energy to go in and to learn these skills and to be more productive yeah, on, on that note, I actually still do meditate, but in a in a somewhat different way than how I originally started. Um, so so for those of you out there who who aren't familiar with this, um, I, I meditate, or at least I used to meditate, like in, in the traditional sense, where I sort of sit in one place and I close my eyes and I focus on my breathing. And the reasoning behind this is that it forces me to, I guess, breathe a little slower, um, you know, train my focus to 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 stay focused on one thing, and that and that's my breath. And um, you know, meditation one hundred and one, okay, like the basics of meditation. You 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 breathe, you close your eyes, and you empty your mind, and you think about your breath. You know, think about oh, like. Um, the the speed at which I breathe or or how my how my chest feels when I breathe in and how I how my chest feels when I breathe out focus on every aspect of your breathing 
but nothing else. And inevitably, at first, your mind is going to wander to something that is a little more interesting, like the Netflix show that I'm going to watch immediately after this meditation, for example. Um, your your mind is going to wander there, but it's uh, the, the point of the meditation is that you recognize that your mind is wandering, and then you gently circle it back to paying attention to your own breathing. Okay, and what this does is it help it trains your your focus, your ability to stay focused on a particular thing. So I used to just sit down and focus on my breathing, and that was my meditation. Today, uh, since I I, I work, uh, I also do intermittent fasting. By the way, um, which is another thing that is also focused related, but but that's besides the point. Um, I don't eat lunch at work, so. Um, but in order to fill in my lunchtime with something that isn't food related, what I do is I go outside of my office and I walk for like a mile and a half, sometimes two miles, sometimes more, depending on how I feel. <clears throat> so I just go outside and I walk by myself, by the way. I'm not walking with coworkers or friends. Um, I'm walking by myself. And what this does is it allows me to be alone in my thoughts and I focus on, I, I, I focus, I choose on one thing to focus on. So either it's my breathing or it's my walking or it's the cars outside and, and the noises that they make. I, I focus on one thing um, when I walk and this is my form of meditation. Um, so so you make a good point, David, that that. Uh, sometimes a learning ecosystem isn't about just learning and just skills and just reinforcing those skills. Sometimes the ecosystem, or, or I guess oftentimes the ecosystem includes activities that aren't um, aren't directly correlated with the skills or with the knowledge, right? What the the meditative walk that I do helps with is it allows me to focus better on my tasks and focus better on my learning, right? It doesn't have anything to do with the knowledge that I'm getting from my learning, but it affects it by improving how much I focus. The same goes for when I go to the gym and I exercise, um, it's been proven or, or, or strongly suggested in scientific research that exercise is actually very important to your mental ability, your, your cognitive abilities. Your cognitive abilities are greatly improved when you exercise. And this is part of the reason why I exercise, why I go to the gym, because I want to do that to support my ability to learn, my ability to function cognitively, right? So, so I really like that you brought that up, that, that a learning ecosystem, a personal learning ecosystem doesn't always have to be about your classes and your skills and your current specialization, your, your current, um, you, you know, whatever you're trying to acquire in terms of learning and skills. Sometimes it's about activities that help you do that, help you acquire new skills and new knowledge better, right? And that's that's meditation, that's exercise, that's relaxing activities, right? So so I really like that you you brought that up. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the time, um, you know, people focus a lot on productivity, getting stuff done, you know, working hard, hard, you know, kind of like 
Gary Vee, <laughs> like, and a lot of those, you know, hustle entrepreneurs, right? Um, but I think it is very important to, you know, take a step back a little bit and just, you know, either reflect or do something that de-stresses you. Um, because not every second of your life is about having, you know, productivity. Sometimes you have to just take a step back and that allows you um, to actually become more productive, right? And uh, just before we close this episode, um, I think it's important to recognize that when you do have an ecosystem, it can be extremely hard to balance everything. And so time organization, um, time management becomes very important. And I guess that's a part of the reason why we made UniPlan. It's part of the reason why we made the app and we released these podcasts and these blogs because we want to help you um, in your personal lives to balance everything and to make sure that you're always staying productive, um, healthy, um, while you know having a high quality of life, being able to accomplish the things that you want to do, achieve great success. Um, so I guess, Julian, if you want to talk a little bit more about the app and what we intended it to, to do. Yeah, so um, the app is is something that came out of um, my experiences looking into um, the tools that exist out there, the productivity knowledge that exists out there, and um, experiments on myself and and what I've observed in others, in my own peers, uh, how they learn and how their lives look. And, and what they would want and what I would want out of an organizational tool. And I think the one thing that that sort of, um, I, I guess, uh, tricks you into thinking that, that you know, you're, you're organized is that you have a bunch of tools to do them, right? Like you have Google Calendar and you have Trello for project management or you have... Uh, you have like to-do list apps or you have a physical to-do list like your planner, your agenda and all that stuff. And, you know, you have all of these tools, you have all of these organizational systems that um, that take time to use, right? They're very, sometimes, a lot of the times they're very static, like it's just a list and you, you write down what you need to do, but um, a lot of times you, it, it, you still need to do something with that list, right? You still have to, you know, for example, you write down a bunch of homework assignments on a to-do list or in your agenda, your planner, right? You still have to schedule that at some point. You still have to decide, oh, at 12 noon, I'm going to work on math. And then afterwards, I'm going to work on my essay. And after that, I'm going to work on this. Like you, 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 no matter how formal, or, or informal, right? Whether you schedule it on a calendar or you keep like an informal schedule in your head, which is one of the worst things you can do, by the way, no matter what, you're scheduling that and you're 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 using that in a different way. You're you're doing you're processing the to-do list in another way. And then when you have a bunch of tools that sort of supplement your organizational system. Um, you can get bogged down by the actual activity of organizing, right? Like just using an organizational system might actually hinder your productivity, 
which sounds weird and it sounds nonsensical, but we've already gone over a nonsensical method that appears to work really well. So here's the point, is that UniPlan is meant to be a, a, a tool that that I, I hope encompasses nearly everything that you need to be a successful student. We have a scheduler that, that basically aligns your tasks by your your energy levels and you have full control over your schedule you're still able to like oh like at 2 p.m i want to work on this at 3 p.m i want to work on that but if you want to take the thinking out of scheduling you can tell uniplan to schedule all of your tasks according to your energy levels. So if you feel more energized in the morning, UniPlan will try to schedule a, a lot of your important tasks in the morning if you're a morning person. And if you're more of a night person, then UniPlan will schedule it that way as well. There, uh, We plan to add productivity tools like a Pomodoro timer. So I, I, I hope that we've brought up the Pomodoro technique before in a previous episode. Um, but but if you... If you um, if this is the first time that you've heard of the Pomodoro method, we'll put something in the show notes um, that that uh, that goes over the basics of the Pomodoro method. But we want to add a Pomodoro timer. We want to um, to have the app remind you to go to bed, right? Because sleeping is is uh, very important to a learning ecosystem and stuff. So we want this app to be almost a one-stop shop for your organizational system. And we think it's really great. We think it's gonna really help you stay on task, stay on time, stay organized, and stay productive. But but hopefully we've removed a lot of the 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 act of organizing, the act of of using an organizational system. Hopefully we've taken a lot of the mundane activities away so that you can focus on actually doing rather than organizing and planning, right? Um, that, that's the hope. That's the ultimate goal. And, and, and that's UniPlan. So if you want to find more, uh, find out more, um, or sign up to, to, to basically directly contribute to the development of UniPlan, um, you can visit us at uniplanteam.com. And also our other social medias. David, if you want to go over those. Right. Uh, I mean, before I go over the social medias, I just want to say, um, you know, we designed this app because uh, we ourselves, I know you're not in school anymore, um, but if you were, I think you would definitely find the UniPlan app to be extremely useful, right? Because right now, um, obviously, I'm pretty pretty busy with a lot of the obligations that I have. So I have a lot of organizational tools that I use for that. So um and it's very difficult to manage that sometimes because I have to keep track of like four or five apps. And so the point of UniPlan is to condense all of those into one app that is perfect and customized to every uh, university or college student. So you can make the most out of your day without having to constantly worry about, oh, like, will I have enough time to do this? Or, or oh, like, when do I have to finish this by, right? Because it allows you to have um, that kind of freedom over your schedule um to be able to to see everything um and plan your days out so you're more productive um and i guess just more happy as a college student um but anyway if you would like to support us um you can follow us on all social medias i believe we are under at uniplan team um under facebook and twitter 
and also YouTube. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the UniPlan YouTube channel, um, that's where we put a lot of our podcasts as well. Um, and listen to us on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, iTunes. Am I forgetting any, Julian? Uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. There's Google Play. All right, Google Play as well. Um, so that's going to be it for this episode of the study space podcast um if you would like more of these please help us by supporting us um as we mentioned by following our social media and downloading our app when it does get released